Hello everyone. So glad to uh, see you all coming in today as I've been watching you uh, join us. So let's settle into a 10-minute sit and then we'll proceed with inquiry.
as we come to the close of our silent period here, I'm recalling something Flint said to us last week that elevates this experience more than a psychotherapeutic practice. He said, feel what we're resting in. Feel, sense what we're resting in. Let's recite, chant the verse of the robe together. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. How good it is to see all of you this afternoon. Just take a moment and look around. This is the best way that we can be with each other, is uh, taking in each other uh, with a glance, with an intention of paying attention to each other. As is our practice here at Open Door Zen, we begin all of our talks acknowledging that we live on the indigenous land of the Ho-Chunk people, a sacred meeting place of multiple tribes for over 12,000 years. We offer the intention of our practice together to heal the wounds caused by white supremacy and our participation in it and the wounds caused by racist policies and attitudes for our black sisters and brothers and all people of color. <clears throat> Tomorrow is Bodhi Day, the day of celebrating, the celebration of the Buddha's enlightenment, which is celebrated on the eighth day of the 12th month of the Chinese lunar calendar. It's considered a most important and auspicious day in all of Buddhism. In a sense, it's that day that marks the beginning of Buddhism, the day the Buddha awakened as he sat underneath the Buddha tree, the Bodhi tree. I thought it right that I offer some thoughts on enlightenment today, not that I know anything about it. I've wondered about it myself for years. My sister, a practicing Catholic, asked me what I was talking about today. Uh, she wrote this to me in a text. I wrote back, I'm giving a talk on what is enlightenment. Her cryptic response was a click of the switch. She might have something there, but it's a tough one to talk about. Flint told me a story last week that points to this difficulty. It goes something like this. 
a student asked Suzuki Roshi to talk about enlightenment. Before he could say anything, his wife Mitsu Suzuki spoke up and said that he hadn't been enlightened yet and flicked her fan at him. I can imagine that stopped things for a moment. We all know probably some parts of the Buddha's story. He had left his previous life as a prince and went on a six-year search for the answer of his, to his one question. What is the origin of human suffering and what can bring it to an end? He had observed the human condition in himself and in the people around him and was left with this big unanswered question. His search involved many teachers and austere practices that actually brought him near death. He was found in a ditch one day um, and he needed nourishing food brought to him through the kindness of a young woman named Sujata. Once his body was in a healthier state, thanks to her actions, he was able to sit in deep meditation as he had practiced over the last six years. As the story goes, it is said that at the first day, first light of day, he experienced an opening of his mind and heart and realized the truth of life. He saw, sensed, felt the interdependence of all things, that everything arises and passes away together. Everything is impermanent and always changing moment to moment. And the self is not personal, not separate and unchanging. In other words, there isn't any separate self. I think it fair to say that he probably sat with this for a while until he had completely embodied the truth. <clears throat> Taking something into our whole being, not just as a thought or insight, but as an embodied knowing is the experience of transformation. This led him to the Four Noble Truths. Life involves suffering in many ways. There is a cause of suffering. There is a way to end suffering. And the Eightfold Path is a way to bring an end to suffering. One version of this story is that his friends coaxed him out from under that tree to teach them what he had come to, what he had discovered. This is known as the beginning of the turning of the wheel of the Dharma. I've read several versions of this story and I'm always left with wondering, what is the relevance of it in our modern lives? Thinking about it for talking with you today, I came across Joan Sutherland's article, What is Enlightenment? in the last month's Lion's Roar magazine. As a senior Zen teacher and scholar, Joan has a creative and relevant view on enlightenment. I've brought a couple of sections as I think she offers the clearest ideas of what we are looking for and what we are looking at. Here's one of the things I took away from her teaching. Our Zazen practice is about cultivating availability for awakening. Joan says it this way, there is a mad discipline and an insane persistence on this path, but there is, they are in the service of something more fruitful than certainty, control, and will. They're in the service of availability. So just keep showing up, sit the meditation, attend the retreat, absorb the teachings, face the fear, feel the sorrow, endure the boredom, explore the doubt, stay open to the disturbing and also the knee-buckling beautiful in your life. This might seem like a tall order. It is. That's why it is best done with others. That's what Sangha offers us as Flint's answers to Ben last week indicated. What seems the most difficult 
cultivates a state of mind and body that allows our basic goodness to shine forth. Tara Brock, the meditation teacher, calls this trusting the gold in her new book, which is called the same name. This is how we can discover the truth of being, a capital B, being in ourselves and all others. This is the truth that recognizes, this is the state rather, that recognizes the truth of life as it is. It's reliable. Roshi Mel Weitzman famously said, enlightenment is an accident and practicing makes us accident prone. I don't think he was trying to be funny. I think it is a clear and simple teaching with the possibility of profound awareness. And there is so much assistance now in understanding our basic goodness and what practices support us. In 1992, the Dalai Lama asked the neuroscientist Richie Davidson, who is here at the University of Wisconsin, to study what can help human beings to flourish essentially to cultivate well-being and the good elements of character rather than perpetuating the pathologies of our human condition, which is what neuroscience studied up to that point. This really was actually the beginning of this branch of neuroscience as we know it today. In fact, it was eight years later when I attended Richie Davidson's very first public lecture on his findings. Over these last 30 years, so much has been studied and verified. Davidson and others identified our four basic pillars of human well-being and flourishing. Number one, awareness through the practice of mindfulness. From a secular perspective, this involves practices that cultivate the ability to stop, pause, look, sense, and see what is present in this very moment. Number two, connection, social relationships that support and offer care and kindness on a reciprocal basis. We receive and we give, we give and we receive. The Surgeon General of the United States, Vivek Murthy, who I think is our, one of our national bodhisattvas, gives his voice and position to love and care as a significant aspect of holistic health individually and collectively. He encourages all actions that lean us toward love as a culture. Number three, insight. Knowing ourselves free of judgment and criticism, and I know that takes some work, expands our possibility to knowing and understanding others and choosing our actions accordingly. And number four, finding meaning and purpose in our lives, actually identifying meaning and purpose in our lives, which is so important so that we really have a guide for our life so that we know what it's about and we make our everyday decisions based on it. My sense is that the Dalai Lama knew that understanding human experience and cultivating that, which assists us in flourishing, is the basis for waking up to the truth of life, to our true nature. And while, and while this is all good and needed, it is only the foundation of cultivating availability for enlightenment. I took this next teaching from Joan's writing. The universe is enlightened, is awakened, is always moving toward us, and we need to be ready to move toward it in any moment. This is what practice is for, preparing a space to receive what is coming at us all the time. Here's an example from my own life. One morning, um, I was teaching at a meditation center, um, and I was out walking after my Said after I had sat um, in my practice, and I was walking down the middle of a gravel country road. 
I was worrying about something that I thought was happening at home. As the sun came up in perfect alignment with me standing there, suddenly I'm awake. Everything else drops away. In that moment, I was given the truth. Then I went on with my life. It comes and it goes. I know some version of this has happened to all of you and for all of you. It's how we know enlightenment is ongoing, is integral to our lives, our lives, and emerges at any time. As we wake up in the morning, as we eat, as we wash dishes maybe, take a walk, do the cleaning, write an email, clear up computer glitches, all the time it's showing up. A Rumi poem offers this advice. <clears throat> the breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. Sometimes it's so tempting to go back to sleep, especially in the painful, difficult, heartbreaking experiences of life. It almost seems impossible and in those moments inexpressible. Joan offers this thought about trying to express the inexpressible. <clears throat> trying to describe all this is pretty much a fool's errand, she says which is why people have offered poems and paintings and cups of tea as invitations to see the original face of something, anything, before our judgments and opinions about it kick in. To see the original face of one thing is to see the original face of all some things. Flint's and others' transcendent photos Trudy's and Nancy's breathtaking poetry give us this glimpse into the original paint, into the original face. I want to show you a painting. It's a painting by Odilon Redon, an early 20th century post-expressionist painter attempting to capture the moment of Buddha's enlightenment. I saw it at the Musée d'Orsay over four years ago and was mesmerized by it. The feel of it is still with me. I'm going to leave it here for a moment for us to take this in. It's called Buddha in his youth. And since Buddha's awakening happened supposedly when he was 35, um, that is considered the youth of his life. I'm hoping you can see the figure of the Buddha sitting here under the Bodhi tree, surrounded by all of the flowers, all of life. In others of Redan's paintings, he has another one of his, he has the Buddha standing next to the tree. And in his description of that one, the tree reaches up into the universe as the Buddha is standing on the earth, reaching down into Mother Earth, expressing the inexpressible. One last note from Joan. Awakening is an arc made up of path, revelation, and embodiment the Buddha offered us a way in the Eightfold Path and the Six Paramitas. Practice can reveal to us our conditioning and the truth of life arising and passing in every moment and letting the truth settle into our whole being. Every cell of our body allows our basic goodness, the gold that Tara Brock talks about, to shine out and meet enlightenment in all its forms. 
Enlightenment is a big and, and deep teaching beyond anything I can offer. If you haven't experienced any moment of transformation or awakening, or a question that can move us forward, please come forward now. Thank you so much. Hello, Penelope. You're you, great. Okay, good. I think I'm okay now, right? You yes, can hear yes, you are. It's nice to meet you, Penelope. Well, I feel like I know you from our beautiful Zoom meeting. So mm -hmm. thank yes. you so much. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to thank you so much for bringing forward the beautiful painting. Radon is one of my very favorite artists for inspiration. And so that was very um, affirming to see this, you know, the, to see someone else share this beautiful um, expression of the inexpressible. But, I, you know, I just feel like your talk today was so right on because I, this isn't really, a, well, it is a question in a broader sense, but um, it was so right on because you were talking about um, when you said we need to cultivate a state of being that allows our basic goodness to show through. And that's what we're having such a huge problem with. Like yesterday, I think there was in the New York Times a editorial piece about rudeness in our culture, that everyone is so rude and, and awful. And then they took that apart and they kind of, you know, like people of my generation, we were brought up to be polite and considerate of others. That was just sort of a basic way we were brought up. And, uh, you know, now it's more conflicted, you know, like in other words, it's like, manners can be thrown out the door because they feel like they're masking elitist version visions or uh, viewpoints or something. And so it's very hard. To, how do we bring up the kids and today to have this culture where of respect for one another? I guess that's my broader question. You know, the, not our personal kids, but the kids in our society. Thank you so much for that question. I saw the same article yesterday and I was struck with it as well, Penelope. Um, it just seems to me that it, it makes it so much more important for us to be, to model this. You know, my, my, one of my thoughts is that if life arises every moment and we're participating in it, then it's really important that we make our intention to show up that way to show up with our goodness, to show up, even if we don't feel very good in that moment, that we ask ourselves, what is it that I wanna see more of in the world? That, that's what our um, Surgeon General is asking of all of us. There's a wonderful um, interview with him and Richie Davidson on the public uh, radio program, On Being. Mm -hmm. And this is what the two of them are talking about, how to lean toward love, what actions, can we um, bring forth so that we're leaning toward love? And um, I think that's just our work now. Well, I've found out that, I mean, it's, it becomes frustrating because we want to take on the big picture, but what I try to do is just like, you know, in driving when the people are, you know, you want to scream and curse at them, they're, you know, cutting you off the road and all that to just kind of take that deep breath and say, Okay, let them do whatever they want to do. Just let them go first. Let them get in, you know, just little things like that. Just mm -hmm. kind of back off and just try to de-escalate all these situations that seem to be happening constantly. Mm -hmm. You know, in relationship, um, from relationship research, what um, uh, John Gottman found was for every negative uh, something that arises, six positive actions will neutralize it. And the way I've taken that is I was a, a couple therapist for a long time. So I worked with couples about that. But then I thought that's not just in, in, in personal therapy. That has to do with myself. If I do something negative for myself, what are five positive things I need to do toward myself to neutralize that state? What about that in families? What about that in our culture? So your action of um, while you're driving and uprises, um, you know, frustration or irritation to think in terms of, okay, what is it that I can offer here that will neutralize this? 
and bring and lean me toward love if uh, nothing else. Um, but I think love is the most important power there is in the world. So uh, that's our work. Thank you. That was very lovely. You're welcome, Penelope. Mm -hmm. Hello, Kim. Hi. Um, something's puzzled me about the Enlightenment, and that is when Buddha says, I and all beings are now enlightened. And uh, so do we assume that, that that was always so, or did that happen when Buddha became enlightened? And um, an explanation I've heard is that we're enlightened, we just don't know it. But I don't quite buy that either. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. Well, Kim, this has been uh, my wondering as well, um, all of these years of practice. But one of the things that Joan Sutherland offers in, her, <clears throat> in this teaching, in this article, is that the universe is enlightenment, is enlightenment. The universe is awakening. And since the universe has been always here, then I wondered if what the Buddha meant, based on you know, our language of it, is, oh, I recognize that it's always been here, it always will be here. And my basic goodness, I can use that to meet it whenever I'm aware of it. And there might be moments um, that I'm aware of it, but as we accumulate these moments and we embody these moments, our availability expands, our container expands. And, and as we do this together, the container expands for it even more. That's, that's my best take on it in this moment. I know it's a mystery. So I'm it wasn't to... something he acquired, but more something he discovered. I, I think so, and I use yeah. that word. I might be off on that, Kim. Um, so uh, thank you for thank raising you. that question. You know, I, I think these, these conversations are, are some of the most stimulating. Um, as long as we stay in our body with them, as long as we, you know, don't separate with thought or try to get some insight, as long as we stay here in our body with it. Thank you, Kim. Hi, Suzanne. Hello, hello Barbara. So good to see you. Good to see you. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so happy that you related to that talk by Richie Davidson and, and um, Vivek Murthy. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was so pleased to hear it and the two of them dovetailing each other with um, Davidson's research and Murthy's just wisdom and findings over the years in the medical realm. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the terms he used um, when you were talking about, I thought of this, when you were talking about six positive actions will neutralize one negative action. Mm -hmm. And didn't, was it Vivek or, or Richie who um, said micro awakenings or micro, talking about those little moments mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. you just realize, oh, I've been in deep conversation with a person and I pull out my iPhone and my emails and I realize I just did that. Mm -hmm. And what did he call those micro awakenings? Micro interruptions, I think. Okay. Although it, that seemed rather macro to me <laughs> that if you're in a conversation <laughs> with somebody and all of a sudden you pull out your phone and you look at it, you know, I've got mine right here. And if I was talking with you and we're having a great conversation and I go, oh, you know, <laughs> that seemed rather macro to me. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if, yeah, how that actually occurred. But, um, mm -hmm. but I've seen people do it. And yes, and even at dinner tables. Yes. And it yes. seems so rude. Yeah, like one of the other people was talking about and um, but whatever those little moments are, I'd just like to hear about that because whatever we want to call them i you know we've heard about microaggressions for a while now mm -hmm. and how those little things aren't always caught 
-hmm. by the person who's saying or doing them, but mm -hmm. they really hurt others. Mm -hmm. And how micro, well, even microaggressions um, can be a way of micro interruptions or whatever we're, we're calling those times when we just lose, we mm -hmm. lose it, mm -hmm. our mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. just the little times. Those little times, I think, is what practice can really help us take notice of, Barbara. Mm -hmm. That we might notice in a moment when we're in a conversation with another and we reach our limit of tolerance for this kind of intimacy, uh, up, comes a, up comes an urge, up comes an impulse to go, to look away whether it's to grab our phone or to, or to, you know, change the subject on something or to say goodbye abruptly. If when we practice so with ourselves and we increase our capacity, our container for noticing that we can notice it and just take, and just say, you know, we might even ask for a pause in the conversation if that's what we're talking about. To say, you know, give me a moment. I need to, I need to just re, reorient myself here because I noticed myself going away. Mm. And then we can come back and say, okay, let's go on. I can, I can meet you now. Or encourage the other person to do the same and be patient with ourselves. Because this kind of intimacy, this kind of meeting, it, it takes us to our edges. Yeah. Yeah, it takes us to our edges. And when we um, let ourselves pay attention to what arises and recognize it for what it is, oh, I've just met an edge. That's okay. I don't have to criticize myself. I don't have to judge it in any way. It, it's just part of being human. It's part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. And so that intimacy is with ourselves and the intimacy is with the other. Right. Thank you. That clear that clears up what it's really about. Mm. Very well. Thank you so much, Suzanne. You're welcome. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Barbara. Mm -hmm. Hello, Francis. Hi, Suzanne. Nice to meet you. Thank you. I've been attending for a few, uh, maybe months now. Mm. I'm always a little hesitant to uh, share a personal story, but this seemed like it goes right along with this. I, um, I went into Walgreens the other day and I was, uh, I had put too much on my morning schedule and I already knew that, but I got, got in and got in the checkout line and there were about 10 people and one checker. So I kept, I kept trying to keep myself aware of my inner frustration. But when I got up there, I said, and I could hear in my own voice, the sharpness, I could hear my edge. And I said to this, this girl, I said, we really need another checker here. She said, oh, I'm so sorry for your weakness. She said, I hope it wasn't inconvenient. I said, well, it was inconvenient. And we need to, we needed another checker. And she said, well, I called for one. She said, but she said, I'll be happy to go get you an application. <laughs> Which looking back on it's funny, right? I mean, it was, it was funny. But at that moment, it was not. I can imagine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I was not, you know, I had, I had left. And so anyway, I, I was kind of, sharp with her and uh and I left and I felt so bad about that really the rest of the day and 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 I did beat myself up a little bit for for losing my uh you know my own presence with that but anyway so the next day I went back in there and she was there and she wasn't busy and I so I went to her and I said I owe you an apology. And I said, I really, I said, I lost, you know, kind of just lost my, it wasn't a temper thing, but um, I said, I just wanted to say, I'm sorry. I said, of all the people that we should be kind to, it's our helpers. 
I said, if I was frustrated, you must have been terribly frustrated with anyway. But I reminded her of what she said. And and she went, oh, my gosh. She said, did I say that? She said, I didn't even. She said, I'm so embarrassed. I said, it's okay." And I said, as soon as I had a moment to recollect, I I left because it was cute. <laughs> anyway, we had a very nice, a very nice exchange. And, mm. you know, she shared some things about her own uh, frustrations with, with the world and what was going on. Anyway, uh, it was a very good example for me to see that uh, I do just great until something pushes on me a bit. Mm. And then I don't. Mm-hmm. So this was, like a, this was us, great Francis. for me today because it has been with me. Yeah, I would, uh, like the rest of us is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And I laughed when you first told it because um, earlier this summer I was at a coffee shop. There was a really long line. And when I got up to the, to the counter, here was a sign that said, um, we're doing the best we can. Sorry for the wait. If that's not okay with you, ask us for an application. Oh, <laughs> good idea, really. <laughs> really, really. I mean, it calls us to, it calls us to understand. Yeah. And what I'm struck with um, in your story, which is so wonderful, Francis, is that while you didn't get it in the moment, which often happens to us, right? We don't get it in the moment, but something wakes us up. And then we think about it. And then the fact that you went back to her, that's, that's an enlightened moment, I think. And then you had an enlightened conversation. Yeah, it ended up being a very, really a very nice experience. And when I've shared with a few people, and it, you know, it does, it makes us realize that uh, when we do realize, I have to wonder how many times I actually don't have an aha after I've encountered you know somebody and made them feel less than or hurt their feelings or mm-hmm. I'm sure it happens when I'm not aware mm-hmm. but thank you so much mm-hmm. well your story really is a response to what Penelope talked about early on yes. is you know what it do was. we do about this you know that's happening is we go back when we've been engaged in it we go back and we say mm-hmm. oh that wasn't that wasn't the way I really wanted to be here Right. Thank you so much, Francis. I love it. A Walgreens moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, we have Flint next. Hello, Flint. I appreciate it. all the things you're speaking about so well and, and the responses and I'm still I'm circling back to your initial uh, reflections on what Joan Sutherland had written you know I appreciate the way that she uses language so beautifully mm-hmm. when she speaks about um, enlightenment or awakening this difficult thing as more availability I really appreciated it so I've been sitting with that and so my, my question is a more direct question here sort of student to teacher teacher to teacher like mm-hmm. uh, you're you've been practicing a long time mm-hmm. and leading others in practice uh, how how are you more available is your how, what is your practice how does it influence your availability and i don't mean just psychologically that, yeah say that last piece again how does my what availability how, how are you more available mm-hmm. not simply psychologically more available in that mm-hmm. common way but the, in the way she's speaking about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what's your experience of that i've let go of any end goal flint hmm. um i realized that as long as i had some idea of goal or or something that i was supposed to accomplish with it i've I actually, it felt quite contracting and quite narrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I realized, and it wasn't a, it wasn't necessarily an aha, but a process over time 
but I had to let go of en any end, end, ending a process here, any end accomplishment, um, and to practice for practice sake, to practice to be with others, to practice for the well-being of everyone, to practice for human flourishing, then I settled down. Then I opened up. And I, I realized um, that, and it wasn't a personal thing, I realized that the capacity for being able to be with just increased. Mm -hmm. The availability just increased, not of my own doing, which was rather surprising because I was at the time up to that point, pretty goal oriented. I can do this. You know, um, uh, your, your Dharma talks, of, or I mean, yeah, your inquiry talks of the last two weeks, I so identified with. If I just do it right, if I just get it right, then um, I'll be okay, or then I'll be able to offer something of worth and value to others. And I had to just let it all go. I know getting sick really helped me. Do that. I wondered if that was a part of it also. It was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my, and it's, my husband, it's all going to go. It is you're right. And the fact and when my husband got sick, um and I realized that um my cushion wasn't for um curative uh experience. Okay. It it was for it was for opening up to that we're all going to go. And fortunately, he recovered. And then I was diagnosed with this chronic illness. And I said, Oh, okay, that's what it's all about. Okay. And then I keep coming back to you and to everyone else here. Uh, because I'm, we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. And that's what I take from you and from other teachers and from all of us here. Because we're all in this together. It's an important response. It's very touching as you say it, um, because you're very clear that when you, when Joan says being more available, it's as if you're going to get something, but actually it's because you stopped something yes. and then became available because something was taken back. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I really love her image and I, and I hope everybody here will go to her article if you just if you just Google lion's roar, what is enlightenment, it'll come up immediately. And what I, one of the things I so appreciated was what she said about enlightenment being here all the time. And that our practice uh, has us be available so that as it shows up, we're, we're there, mm -hmm. we meet it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really can't express it. I just knew what she was talking about immediately. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, a couple of times I mentioned computer glitches. I've had significant computer glitches and it was my biggest worry about, to, about today was that my computer wasn't going to work. And, but I had a couple of enlightenment experiences in that the people that I needed to show up to help me clear this up were available at the time I needed them. I've not had that experience very often, but there it was. There it was. I went, okay, they're my enlightenment for today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting if I can reflect a little further. I remember, I think you probably remember a time in which the way we spoke about it explicitly was there was a shift from your wholehearted and diligent practice to training. Yes. And even your attitude right then when you changed, mm -hmm. just acknowledge things and what is that? What just shifted when I said that? I recognize the invitation. That but it, it that... didn't initiate what got you through graduate school. That's right. That's what right. did it open? It opened up all other possibilities for me. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, every time I mention me or, or that I, it, it's not a, it's not a personal thing. It's that it opened up something I, in me and for me that I had no idea was there. Well, and that's part of why Peg and I suggested that you receive entrustment. <laughs> it wasn't something that you wanted or were trying to get. It was something that was now available to you to mm -hmm. offer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm, every day I'm grateful for it, Flint. And as I, if I come to you like I am now, uh, you've taken the teacher's seat at this moment, and I come to you now as a student. Is there some edge of availability that you would encourage me about knowing me? Not that there's anything wrong, but what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To rest. You said last week, rest in what is here. And I took it as you were offering us a teaching and you were offering yourself a teaching. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that strikes home the Mm -hmm. because I often think of available for more and it's actually available for less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Flint. Mm -hmm. is, is there one more for, a, as Flint would call it, the lightning round, Maria? If not, we'll sit quietly. Uh, not the moment, uh, Suzanne. Mm -hmm. Suzanne, uh, someone, someone oh, did. Rosemary. Uh, oh, Rosemary, sorry. Someone did ask for you to say the author of the t article. Oh, Joan. Um, Joan Sutherland. What is a what is enlightenment? Okay. Oh, hello, Rosemary. Hi, Suzanne. Um, hi. So nice to see you and. Um, I really appreciated, I, I had a cell phone um, crisis yesterday that I was going to talk about and how I dealt with the person on the phone that was trying to help me, mm -hmm. but I was so um, moved by your um, talking about availability as an essential part of enlightenment and how, I think it was with Penelope and maybe later with Barbara, how these, how when our capacity for that feels challenged, we will uh, distract. And I think that's such an essential mm -hmm. uh, thing and something that I, I deal with a lot. And mm -hmm. I just found it very, very moving to mm -hmm. think about that and, and explore that. Mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's really a, um, a noticing within oneself. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are clues because you'll go for the phone or you'll start another task or, well, what is really, why did I switch? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I just, mm -hmm. yeah, it was just very moving to hear you talk about that. Mm -hmm. Noticing that what some of my t uh, teachers in psychotherapy would call the upper limit to bliss, <laughs> that we all have it. And that when we notice it, we can expand it whether it's a meeting with another person, a meeting of in ourselves, a meeting with something in the whole of life. And we can meet it with breathing, taking a moment to pause, feeling into it. It's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Rosemary. Mm -hmm. Ah, so we've come to the end of our uh, hour here today, maybe in this last moment to just look around at everybody one last time. And I know, uh, Maria, do you hand it over to Jessica for the porch or for uh, what you no, that, call the porch? That's me, Susanna. That's you. Okay, Maria. <laughs> that's Thank me. You so Thank you so much for your wonderful um, hosting here and uh, taking care of us all today. Oh, you're very welcome. Mm -hmm. Oh, Flint has raised his hand a moment. Okay. Uh, just a word from our sponsor.
<laughs> just to remind folks who are online that uh, we will meet tomorrow at this exact same time mm -hmm. uh, for the Rohatsu uh, talk if you're if you're interested. So it's just a reminder. Mm -hmm. We've sent a link out to our to everybody here at Open Door Flint. So we're hoping everybody or as many people can attend from here to your talk at least. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Let's uh, let's um, uh, chant the practice principles. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Have a wonderful day, everyone, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Goodbye. Thank you so much, Susanna. Appamada's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. If you'd like to make a contribution, please do go to the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much, everybody. And if you'd like to continue to meet and share, Please join myself and others for After Inquiry, which is right here on the online porch. Uh, please do take a two minute break if you need to, and I'll meet you right back here. Thank you all so much. Thank you.